I'll go ahead and get an episode today. Uh, I'm actually recording this about maybe two weeks early, uh, give or take. Tonight, I was at church, at my home church, on a Tuesday. They do a lot of teaching on Tuesdays, and my bishop was up, and he was talking, and he said something like, whatever you do, your kids will go further. He was talking about it was in the negative, you know, um, talking about kids growing up watching their parents play with God, kids who learn by example what not to do, but somehow find themselves following the same footsteps. But it sparked a thought, really a whole train of thoughts, and I thought, well, hey, that's a Mother's Day podcast. (laughs) And I want to share it with you. You know, honestly, when he said that, I thought, man, like, I guess I always think this way. I'm like, if something works in the negative, if it's something to watch out for in the negative, I can use it as a tool for the positive. And you can too. And we're going to talk about it. Um, You know, there's the original saying that kind of links to that. It's not what came into my mind. I thought something else. But uh, the original saying and that you've probably heard before, it says, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. That's uh, John Wesley. I googled the quote. But this statement that was in my mind, (laughs) that's not even the right statement, but it just rang in my ears, and I just thought, what one generation does in secret the next generation will do in excess. And I thought that because he was talking about, um, you know, the secret sin that parents would entertain and then their children would walk out of the church. You know, the the parent would be living in the church and uh, living this double life, you know, and showing their kid how to just act like you're in the church but also how to do whatever you want to do. But it would backfire. And this next generation, the kid would be like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, but I'm not even going to hold on to the church thing. I'm not even going to be half in, half out. I'm just going to walk out the door. And so I thought, you know, that's so true. And so the the saying actually is, what one generation tolerates, the next will embrace. But that's not what was in my mind. And so all of this stems out of um, a wrong statement that I thought was said by someone, but I guess it's just said by me, what one generation does in secret, the next generation will do in excess. So why is it? Why is it that when one generation has like this secret sin that the next, their kids just do it openly, their kids just say whatever and just throw everything out? I should also say that just because a parent has been really crazy or um, had some royal mess ups or struggled and lived this double life, it doesn't mean that the kid has to. If you have ever heard some of my husband's story, you will know you have a choice. So if you're listening and you're a teenager, I don't have a big teenage audience, but or maybe even just like a young adult, I want to just encourage you, you don't have to be what your parents were. Um, I hope they were wonderful. I hope they were encouragers. I hope they were everything that you want to be. But if they weren't, you don't have to be that. Um, 
So getting that out of the way. But in not being that, you have to break generational curses. In not being what your parents were, there's some battles that maybe they refuse to fight that you have to fight. And I am living proof of some of this. But I'll get back to what I was saying. I just wanted to preface it with that. I didn't want someone to listen and think, oh man, my parents messed up, so I got to mess up. My parents, you know, we're back and forth now. I got to walk away. No, it don't have to be like that because we get to choose. Every one of us have a choice. But why is it that, you know, young people whose parents live a double life end up walking away? Why is it that they walk to something so crazy? Why is it that they struggle many times? One, because generational curses are real. And two, I believe that we get desensitized by what's common to us. Whatever we commonly see is what we believe is normal. I'm going to go on both sides of this, the bad and the good. So before I start, I'll just say, obviously, if someone in my home struggles with a specific sin, it's just going to seem normal to me. Oh, that's a normal struggle. Because, you know, in our homes... Growing up, all we know to be real or genuine is what we see in our home. Our home is the only home that we see behind closed doors. So whatever we see is what we think is the norm. We don't have anything else to compare it to. Because even families with issues usually seem pretty put together from the outside looking in. It's not until you get behind closed doors that you really know the real of what's going on. At least that's what I've always seen. So that, so for the negative, the sin, but also for the positive, what my kids see. I I begin to think of that. You know, um, we get desensitized by what's common to us. So I also think of it like this. My kids, my kids growing up in my home where bedtime prayer turns into like intercession at times. Ezra would be two years old and asking me to pray for person after person. And he kind of realized that the more people he asked me to pray for, the more I would just pray and get lost in the spirit interceding for these people that we love. And so my thought of it is prayer is normal to him. Prayer is not like a big to-do. Prayer is just what we do. And um, even Abby, Abby is a year and a half, and (laughs) it's so sweet. Oh, man, it's so sweet. She, you know, her and Ezra will be playing toys or something, and she'll walk up behind him, lay her hands on his back, and just start praying. And her prayer sounds like she's talking in tongues. It's so sweet. She's just mimicking. To her, it's normal. To her... Speaking in tongues, praying in the spirit is just like, okay, that's just what we do. Like that's, that's one of our prayer languages. And so, uh, same thing of worshiping, you know, we turn on worship music and we dance and we shout in our home and and we teach our kids, you know, and, uh, or lift our hands, you know? And so to my kids, when songs come on, okay, it's worship time. Like, we're worshiping, you know, and Ezra has really funny dance moves, and Abby, she just sticks her little hand up, and uh, but it's normal, and so for them, they'll get to go beyond that. 
you know, what's done in our home in secret. For them, they'll do it in excess. They will go way beyond. And what a what a cool thing that my kids get to be more, do more, have more than I've ever been or felt or any of it. And that's my desire for them. You want better for your kids, right? But looking at the negative, looking at the negative, I want to talk about a Bible story that just dropped in my mind and God kind of showed me something new tonight in, in regard to Mother's Day. It's perfect. <laughs> so um, it's really a challenge. It's a challenge to you. If you're not a mama, know that I'm not only talking to moms. I will get to it. I promise it's for more than just mm, women with children of their own. I promise. Just listen. We see this passing down in excess play out negatively in the Bible with Jacob. So Jacob deceives his father. I'm not going to get into all the details of these stories. I hope you'll go read them. They're all through Genesis, what I'm sharing. But I don't have time to dig in. So I'm just telling you the basis to make a point. Jacob, he deceives his father using the skin of a goat. He does this to get a blessing. So if you want to read the details, this is Genesis 27. Jacob deceives his father with his mother as his accomplice. A small note here, and this is the part that I, it never, uh, it never like really just rang in my mind, but the deception here started with Jacob's mother, Rebecca. Then it trickled down to the next generation in Jacob. And later we'll see it trickle down again. It was a secretive thing. The deception did work. And Jacob did get what he was after. He got a blessing. So then we moved to the next generation. And, you know, my point today, I've already said, is what one generation does in secret, the next will do in excess and in the open. The generation, the next generation comes. Jacob is now a father. He has 12 sons at the time, but one he loved most. This was Joseph, the son of Rachel. We know Rachel. Rachel is the one that Jacob worked for 14 years for. Rachel, Rachel was Jacob's desire, naturally. Um, Which, side note, Rachel actually was barren and she had a hard time having children and but God gave her Joseph and so Joseph was just special Joseph was so special he was so special to Rachel obviously but even more special to Jacob Joseph's father had given him a beautiful coat unlike anything that his brothers had ever received and Joseph also was having dreams that he was going to be exalted So what does that do? It just stirred up envy and jealousy and just hatred for their brother. So if you remember right, the last generation, one brother deceived his father and betrayed his brother. This generation, 11 brothers come, conspire together to get rid of Joseph, not just to take something from him, but to harm him. And literally wipe any trace of him out of their life. That's excess. 
They end up not leaving him to die in a pit, but they do sell him as a slave, believing that they will never see him again, and they are glad about it. Not only do they do this horrible thing, but they take his beloved coat, and they tear it up and dip it in goat's blood. Last generation, Jacob used the goat skin to deceive his father. This one uses the goat again. Same tool. Deception and a goat. They bring it to their father and insinuate that Joseph was attacked and killed. They didn't outright lie, but they were dishonest. And what do you call that? Deception. So here as a negative point of view, though, who started all of this deceiving? The mama. Oh, the power and the influence of a mom, whether for good or for bad, we have influence. Women have this natural influence. If you don't believe me, there is a message by um, Brother uh, Joe Campatella. It's called Keepers of the Glory, and it is incredible. And he talks a good bit about the influence, this natural influence that women have that men just don't have. It's this specific kind. Rebecca utilized that influence. Here's a recap, okay? Um, Now that I kind of outlined, let me go back. Rebecca overheard her husband's conversation and decided that she knew better. So what did she do? She reverted to deception, planting ideas in her son's mind and literally showing him how to commit this horrible act, this horrible deception, step by step. She even cooked the meat for him. She did all the dirty work and taught her son how to be sneaky and how to get his way. Next generation. Here it is. Jacob, in this moment, he learns the art of deception and agrees to his mom's plan. He spends his life being known as deceiver. That's what the name Jacob means. So Jacob gets a name change when he wrestled with the angel and probably thought that all of it was behind him. But until the cycle is broken and reversed, no name change can stop the trickle down of a generational curse. Right, we're a new creature in Christ, but we still have to conquer some things once we get there, right? I know that to be true in my story. It has to be more than a one-time experience. This is a walk with God for a reason, and there are steps that we must take. Next generation, Jacob's sons, out of the same envy that their daddy had for for his brother, for what his brother had. So uh, Jacob was envious, right, of, of his brother's blessing. He wanted what Esau had. He wanted to be first. He wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing, all that stuff. So he was envious of his brother. Well, Jacob's sons were envious of their brother, Joseph. They end up using the same deception to get rid of their brother with no blame on them. The deception was stronger this time around, though. Don't you know that these things grow with time and they get stronger and stronger? If you, maybe you have some of these things that you know have been passed down, that you know you've got to conquer, if you're not willing to conquer it now, just know it's going to be even stronger for your babies. And knowing that, 
I have fought through some stuff. I do not want my children to have to fight the things that I have fought. No way, no how. I don't want it. And um, so we have to be willing to fight for the next generation or else it will be stronger. It will grow just like it did in, in Jacob's son's generation. Jacob's lie, talking about the strength here, okay, of the, of the deception. Jacob's lie was found out the same day that it happened by his father. Literally moments after Jacob, his deception was complete and he got his blessing, his brother comes in and they find out that Jacob had deceived him, had betrayed them. So moments later, his deception didn't even stand the test of time. It didn't last long. He was so quickly found out. But Jacob's 11 sons, their lie, if we go by um, the accepted timeline of Joseph's life, their lie was believed and accepted for about 24 years. So what was in one generation believed for a day, a lie that lasted for not even a whole day, the next generation, that same deception had the power of blinding someone for 24 years. 24 years, at least, their father believed what he was told. Crazy. So crazy to me. Um, I share that to just reiterate that whatever we pass down to our children will only grow. Good or bad. I know I'm talking about the bad right now, but good or bad, whatever we pass down, it will be more for them. It doesn't matter if you're it doesn't matter if you're a biological mom, a stepmom, a mentor mama, you are passing something down to the ones that look to you. How easy and how plain it is to see that Rebecca's influence started it all. Wow. What exactly are you passing down today? Also, what if I told you that the opposite of generational curses is generational blessings? That is a thing, and it's real. We have the ability to not not only not pass down a curse to our kids, but to pass down blessings. Generational blessings. I'm thankful for that. And what if I told you that you have the choice. You do. And you are making that choice day by day, moment by moment, whether you realize it or not. I want to share with you about someone who had the greatest impact on my walk with God. As I started getting these notes together, honestly, on a whim tonight, I thought, what better time of year, what better, you know, holiday or day to have a tribute to this person you know the other day in conversation Taylor said you know whether you realize it or not she had such an influence in your life he began to list off several things that I do um, in serving him in in caring for our children and in loving others that all mirrored this great woman of God I say great woman of God because I knew her day in and day out. Many people never had the chance to see the things that I saw. I watched her for years interact with people at the grocery store, at uh, the salon, getting her eyebrows done. On the phone, she would call. Oh man, she called so many people every day just checking on different people and those that others didn't check on. 
I watched her love when she was betrayed, all these things. So I say great woman of God, not because she is this well-known name, not because she has this insane legacy that people will talk about for generations, but I say it because she was great. And, And God saw her that way too. I know because I know the things that she did and I know the life that she lived. And greatness isn't always defined by others. Greatness is just who she was. My stepmom, her name was Astrid Dale Long. <laughs> she didn't go by her first name, Astrid. Actually, she would whoop me for telling you her real name <laughs> if she was alive to hear this. But her first name was so fitting until her very last breath. Astrid means divine strength. Her strength was not openly displayed. She wasn't bold and loud. She was not one to take charge. She she lived more of a quietness, if you didn't know her. If you knew her, she would talk your head off. But one of quietness and meekness, the way she carried herself. She brought to life this scripture, 1 Peter 3, 3-4, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. She did the hidden part well. Every year, she would buy my pastor's wife's favorite expensive perfume, not at Christmas or anything when it was expected, but just through the years when she felt to, she would feel led. And, you know, after her death, maybe even after her funeral, my pastor said that it would always be when his wife was almost to the empty bottle. Also, through the years, I was there more than once when her and my dad would ask our pastor's wife for a suit or two of um, my pastor, and they would take it to men's warehouse, and they would buy a matching shirt and tie a couple of them just so that he had something new as a surprise and literally just deliver it, not in front of the church, not as a grand gesture, but just secretly give it back. She did the hidden thing well, just to love and to serve. Every year at Christmas and Thanksgiving and really any big holiday, you could find her not only preparing a feast for our family, but also baking several extra of her famous pies to give to friends and church members. Even the last few years when energy was low and she was sick, she still served others beyond what was expected, all without an Instagram post to prove it. (laughs) It was the things done in secret. Do we even know about doing things in secret? We need to learn. If we're going to pass on something great, we've got to learn about that secret thing, those secret gestures. When I was a senior in high school, I moved into her, my dad's house. Every morning before school, I would wake up and hear her weeping and calling out to God on behalf of So many of her loved ones that couldn't do it for themselves. She wasn't even loud about it. She didn't want to wake anyone up. She didn't want to disturb anyone. I would just hear her whispering in her blue chair on the side of the room, the side of the living room, and 
and I could hear sniffling from the tears that would fall on that chair. No one saw this but me. She didn't do it for show. She did it in faithfulness, in secret faithfulness. She had this way of loving others, this way of making others feel loved and appreciated, not only those in the church, but everyone that she came in contact with, truly displaying the love of Christ, but you would never find her in a large group. She loved one-on-one once again in private, in secret. She did so much for others, never even expecting accolades in return. The kind gestures through the years that I watched her do are honestly too many to count. And I'm sure there's things that she did that I never even knew about. When I was younger and feeling less than, she always had an encouraging word. Cindy, you're different. Cindy, you have a heart for God. I can see it. You're not going to be like everyone else. This is all while I'm just surrounded by sin. But she saw it and she spoke it. Her last words to me will stick with me for the rest of my life. It was just me and her in her bedroom. And she just said, Cindy, seeing you live for Jesus has been the highlight of my life. You see, I was the only one, at least so far, in her family that had received the love for truth that she had been trying to pass down. You know, one more thing that she did in secret? In her last year of life, hooked up to wires and monitors and laying in a hospital bed more often than not, she would worship. My dad would play her favorite songs from his laptop and she would lift her hands and worship our God. With no regard to whether she would make it past the sickness or not, she had such faith, but it, she just lived in the moment too. Lyrics like, He's the only reason I live, but oh, what a reason. She was well known at church for her shout and her dance. She would shout and dance even while she was sick all down the middle aisle and all through the front altar expending all of her energy until her feeble body would give out and someone would have to help her sit down somewhere. But the secret worship, the secret place praise will be her legacy in my eyes. What one generation does in secret, the next will do in excess. Let it be said of me that I was a worshiper that I worshipped and lifted my hands regardless of my situation, that I excessively loved others whether they lived truth or not, that I excessively believed in those that others gave up on seeing much farther than surface deep, that I excessively gave of my time and my talents to the kingdom. You see, Dell was never one to hold a microphone. She was an encourager in secret. But one generation later, my goal almost weekly is to encourage whoever will listen. Hundreds per episode and what she did in secret, I am striving to do in excess. Mama, stepmama, mentor mom, bonus mom, whatever someone calls you. Whatever you are, you have the ability 
to instill something in the generation that comes behind you. You have this great opportunity to pass on whatever makes up you. Are you going to let that be a bitter spirit? Or are you going to let that be a joyful spirit? Will you pass on the desire to gossip or the desire to genuinely pray when trouble comes? Will you pass on a spirit of competition with your peers or will you show the next generation by example how to be an encourager and the biggest cheerleader to everyone around you? It's your choice. I said it earlier, you get to choose day by day, moment by moment. With each interaction, you are passing something on to the ones coming after you. A woman's influence is powerful. I pray you use that power to help the next generation. Be blessed. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.